A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Only a fool despises a parent's discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. There is treasure in the house of the godly, but the earnings of the wicked bring trouble. The lips of the wise give good advice. The heart of a fool has none to give. Continuing our series in the book of Proverbs here in chapter 15. You know, um, I was thinking about my family this week. Today is my brother's birthday. He passed away a couple of years ago. I always think about him on this day. He was so uh, special to me. And the blessing that I had from my, my parents who have also gone on to be with the Lord. And uh, I specifically was thinking about my mom and the influence that my mom has had on my life. What an incredibly wise woman she was. And uh, my wife and I were talking about that even just this week, the blessing that she was to Catherine as her mother-in-law and just what a, what a great relationship they had and uh, what she obviously hopes to have with uh, our daughter-in-law. And, but my mom did give me some bad advice. Uh, I can't think of much, but this was some bad advice. Uh, she gave me great advice. She said if I let Catherine go, I was all kinds of an idiot and a fool, and she didn't raise a fool. So that was, that was great advice, right? Uh, but uh, she did say this one time to me. I came home, and I was crying. I was upset. I think I was in, I was in elementary school, maybe fourth or fifth grade, being a little, little bit of bullying taking place. And uh, she, she talked to me about it, about what the kids said and everything. And then she looked at me, and she said these words. And this doesn't sound familiar to many of you. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never harm you, or words will never hurt you. Well, mama was wrong. She was wrong. In fact, I kind of prefer this poem instead. Let me, uh, let me pull it up here. I meant to have it with me. This is by Ruby Redford. She said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can also hurt me. Stones and sticks break only skin, while words are ghosts that haunt me. Slant and curved, the word swords fall. It pierces and sticks inside me. Bats and bricks may ache through bones, but words can mortify me. Pain from words has left its scar on mind and ear that's tender. Cuts and bruises have not healed. It's words that I remember. A lot of truth to that, isn't it? A lot of truth to that. I mean, think about it this week. How many of you can think right now, somebody who said something to you this week that was encouraging, that added pep to your step? Anybody? Can you think of it? Yeah, there's a couple. But you know, you, you guys aren't throwing your hands up, nodding your head. But let me ask it the opposite way. How many of you experienced this week, and think back, did somebody say something to you that wounded or hurt? Raise your hand. Yeah, that didn't take long at all. We remember that because it has profound impact upon us. And here's the interesting thing about God's wisdom in Proverbs. He touches on all kinds of relevant 
topics. We're, we're in this place now. In the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, um, Solomon was encouraging us to, to seek God's wisdom and how to do it through the fear of the Lord and, and why it's important that we live according to God's wisdom. But now, beginning in chapter 10, he gives out what we think of as Proverbs. And it's just little proverb after proverb after proverb, several of which we just read here in chapter 15. And in those little proverbs, there's all kinds of life topics that are touched on. You think about it, he talks about money, our careers, how we raise our children, how we relate to one another and families, how we relate to others in the community, the importance of friends, political power, all of these different things. But did you know the single most common topic that is addressed in the book of Proverbs? It's our tongue, our mouth our words that we use. And why is this? Because our words are windows into our soul. They reveal what's going on. Our words have the power to bless and curse. And, our, and this passage in chapter 15, this passage that we read this morning, it's all about how our words can be wise words that will reveal a wise heart or foolish words that reveal a foolish heart. And you open up in this passage and it starts with the blessing of wise words. In several of these Proverbs, the first half of the couplet is all about the benefit of words, words that can bring life and be a blessing to others. Verse one, a gentle answer deflects anger. Verse two, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing. Verse four, gentle words are a tree of life. Verse five, only a fool despises a parent's discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. In other words, the benefit of parental discipline and listening to what our parents tell us. Verse seven, the lips of the wise give good advice. And then as you read on in chapter 15, you see in verse 23, for example, that everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. Verse 30, a cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Good news makes for good health. If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. There's power in words. And what you see in the book of Proverbs is certainly that our words have the power to be an incredible blessing to others and used by God to glorify himself and to build up others. You find in the book of Proverbs the exhortation to, to give affirming words that encourage other people. Our words have that a power and ability. We see in chapter 16 that kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. When you think back in this past week or recently, when someone said something that was affirming and encouraging and kind to you, what does it do to your spirit within? It, it's like eating that fine honey. There's affirming words that can encourage that we, are in, that we are shown in the book of Proverbs. And then there's a, maybe something that's counterintuitive. The kind of words that will bless, wise words that are, will bless, are reproving words that actually temporarily wound for the benefit of another. Reproving words that wound for the benefit. So you see in chapter 27 that an open rebuke 
is better than hidden love. In other words, and it's appropriate as we've been talking about biblical community in our small groups this morning, as we do life together, we love one another, but we see that something is happening in someone's life. Maybe they're going to make a decision that could harm them. Maybe there's sin that is evidence not being dealt with. And we love the person. And how do you respond to them? Well, a lot of times we think that the loving thing to do is to simply sit, be silent and pray for them. And it is important to pray. But the Proverbs is saying that actually coming to that person that we love, it's more loving to openly talk with them about what's going on in their life than it is to keep quiet because we're afraid of the wound that might happen. See, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. We, we don't actually have biblical community where we're living authentically with one another, where we're being transparent with one another. If we don't love one another enough to sometimes say hard things or things that are uncomfortable for the benefit of our brother and sister in Christ. Groups that have the best biblical community are groups that have that, that right with one another. I call it refrigerator rights. You know what I mean? You go into someone's house and, and when it's the first time, you're very careful and where would you like me to sit? Yes, uh, I would like something to drink, please. And you know, et cetera. After a little while, there's some of you guys, I go to your house, I just go to your cupboard and I grab a cup and fill my ice up. And that's refrigerator rights. Do you have people in your small group who have refrigerator rights into your life? Yes. Who can speak like that? and are that much at home that they can interact out of love with you. The best biblical community, true biblical community, has to have this in place. These wounds are important in order for the deeper wounds to be healed. Now, I know you're curious as to why I'm on a crutch this morning. And no, it was not my wife or my child, okay? Just, and yes, it is fishing-related, Okay? <laughs> The number of you that came up and said, let me guess, something happened, fishing, yes, something happened, fishing. I was fishing Friday offshore out of Sebastian Inlet, and I don't know, we were 22, 23 miles out, and we were starting to catch fish, and I was with a couple of guys from the church and uh, uh, caught a massive wahoo, big wahoo, biggest wahoo I've ever caught uh, in my entire life, and if you don't know what a wahoo is, uh, there's a reason why they're called wahoo, because when you catch them, you go, wahoo! That's what you do, right? And uh, so it's great eating. It is a predator, an apex predator fish. It looks a lot like a barracuda, except bigger and has teeth like barracudas. And uh, anyway, we gaffed this thing and got it on the boat and it went nuts. And my foot went right into its mouth. And uh, I was barefoot on the boat for the first time in 50 years of fishing. I was barefoot on that Friday. And I'll tell you something, I pulled that out and there was blood everywhere. I couldn't see my foot. There was blood all over the deck of the boat. Uh, ironically, we had prayed at the boat ramp I, before we left. And I said, Lord, today let it be a great day. May there be a lot of blood on the boat. <laughs> right? And uh, I meant fish blood. And... Uh, uh, I even amended it after a couple of sentences later. I even said, but Lord, I meant lots of fish blood, not human blood. So um, he said yes to part A, but no to part B, right? That's what happened. And this fish got me good, and we had to turn around and come back and take me to the hospital. 
And here's the interesting thing. When I got to the hospital, you know, the, the doctor takes a look at my foot, uh, laughed at me for the fish story. And uh, no, she was kind. The nurse laughed at me. Nurses, uh, he, was, he, wasn't, he thought it was honey, funny. But here's what the doctor did. Uh, in order to, to, to take care of my wound, I noticed that she pulled out a scalpel. I said, hey, what's with the scalpel? And she says, I need to do some cutting away in order to get to the wound so that it can heal, right? And you know, that's oftentimes a lot what our, what our words are supposed to be like. Uh, that's your power, and reproving words that can bring about healing. They, they may wound a little bit. And, and by the way, it takes a lot of wisdom to know how to use these kinds of words to your friends, to your family member, to your spouse, in your small group. It takes a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of discernment, discretion, is really important. So in other words, you don't use these kinds of words in the middle of your group time. You maybe get alone. Hey, can we get for a cup of coffee? Hey, let's go out to lunch together. And you do it quietly where the person can hear your love and see your love as you say those words. It's appropriate that we reprove wisely. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. So these kinds of words that bless, affirming words that encourage, reproving words that, that wound but ultimately heal. And then of course, the, the encouragement of the Proverbs is to make sure that we use loving words because loving words can bring life to those who are hurting or to those who even need Jesus. We find in chapter 10 that the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. In chapter 11, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. And then one of those verses that I think everybody should memorize in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Let's, let's say that out loud together. Ready? Here we go. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You know, there's an old parable that demonstrates the truth of that proverb. Uh, one day, hopping through the woods was a tribe, clan, I don't know, of frogs. And they're hopping through the woods when all of a sudden two of the frogs fall into a deep hole. The rest of the tribe looks down and quickly realizes the hole is too deep for them to jump out of. And so they contemplate and finally send a message down to the frogs, give up die with dignity. You can't get out. Well, the two frogs don't like that at council very much, and so they begin to jump and hop, trying to get out and energetically and fervently working to get out of the hole. The rest of the tribe looks down and thinks, you're fools for doing this, and they begin to shout at them, and the more they're ignored, the more louder they shout words that say, give up, die with dignity for, common, for crying out loud. And they begin to jump around, and they're shouting, and they're carrying on. Finally, one of the frogs sees all this and he listens and he lays down and he gives up and he dies. But the other frog doesn't. This incenses the rest of the tribe even more. So they jump around even harder and higher, screaming at him that he's bringing shame upon the tribe because he will not die with dignity. Finally, to their amazement, the little frog jumps high enough and plops half dead out onto the rim of the hole and drags himself away 
almost on the verge of death, but he made it. The tribe sits in stunned silence. The chief frog, I guess the bullfrog, comes up to him and says, why did you not die with dignity? Why did you not listen to us and give up and die with peace and respectably like your friend? And the frog looks at him with a confused look and says, I've lost my hearing. I'm deaf but thank you for jumping so high to encourage me not to give up. (laughs) I'm thankful that he was deaf because those words would have killed him too. Our, the apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.15 that speaking the truth in love is how we are able to actually grow to be more like Jesus Christ. In other words, when we think about biblical community and, and interacting with one another and in our marriages and with our children, as we talk to them and with coworkers and those who we meet in the workforce and in life in general, wise words of the gospel spoken into our lives by other people is part of God's plan for how we become sanctified and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. There's great power. The power of life is in our words. There's great power in the blessings of our words, but there's also the power of death. So as much as there's the blessing of wise words, we see in these verses the folly of wicked words. Associated with our words in the Bible, oftentimes, and here we see it, an example of it in verse verse, uh, one, is the metaphor of fire and heat. We all know that fire can destroy and just ravage and bring about death and destruction. And certainly, that's an apt metaphor for our tongue, for our words. Verse 1 says essentially that our words can be like gasoline that are poured upon a fire. He says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. We've all experienced this. I guarantee Most of us have made the mistake of being in maybe a tense situation, maybe an argument with uh, our children or our our spouse or a friend or our sister or brother or a neighbor, coworker, and at some point, one or the other makes the mistake of saying, listen, you just need to calm down. Does that ever work? No. No. That is like pouring gasoline on the fire. Those are, that's the folly of empty, wicked words. They're foolish words. Our words can be like gasoline that makes it blow up even more. But here's what the scriptures also teach. Our words can actually create the fire in the first place that brings about the destruction. The apostle James, he's, he's concerned in his little book about Christians living out the gospel. And it's interesting how much attention he gives to the tongue. He says, it's like the littlest of all members. It's like the, it's like the bit that you put into a horse's mouth. That little piece of metal can control that massive beast or a, the tiller on a boat, a rudder on a boat. That little piece of wood can turn a, 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 a ship that weighs tons and make it go left, right, or in circles. And he says, that's the way the tongue is. It's such a small member in our body, but it punches way above its weight. 
and it controls so much. He says in verse 5 of chapter 3, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great something is forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body that corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. God's wisdom in Proverbs reveals the way our tongues, that our words can create a destroying, destructive fire. And so let's start with a couple examples of this. Maybe some categories that we see in our text. In verse 2, there's the fire of foolish counsel. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. Already Solomon is warned about being careful who you listen to. Because the people that we listen to, the voices that are in our ear that, that, that Paxson alluded to earlier in our society, as they're telling us that you can ignore what God says about how you live your life and what it means to be a male or what it means to be a female or what it means to be a, a Christian citizen, to ignore that and listen, that is foolish, with a foolish counsel that will end up destroying your life. So there's certainly the fire of foolish counsel. You ever gotten bad advice? I know I have. I had a stockbroker back in 1995 that encouraged me not to invest $1,000 in this company, or 1996, in this company called Google. (laughs) Anyway. Then there's the fire of deceitful lips. Verse 4, gentle words are a tree of life a deceitful tongue, literally a twisted tongue, a twisted tongue, a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. And there's all kinds of examples in the book of, of, the book of Proverbs that Solomon gives that fits within this category of destructive, wicked types of speech. For example, he speaks of flattery. He's already talked to his sons earlier in the book about being careful of friends who flatter with their tongue that they will lead you to death and destruction. In chapter 28, he says, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. What is flattery? Flattery is insincere compliments that are spoken with deceitful motives that are meant to manipulate another person for one's own selfish motives and reasons. Ladies, be careful of the flattering tongue of a man. Be careful. Workers, employees, be careful of the flattering tongue of a, of a boss who's really just out to get you to work more for less and to disregard your family. Be careful of the flattering tongue. The difference between affirming compliments, I mean, we're supposed to build one another up with our speech. And so there is a place for complimenting and giving affirming language. The difference between affirming language and wicked flattery is the motive of the person's heart. When you give out those kinds of words, is your motive because you love the person and you want to build them up? Or are you trying to ultimately get something out of them? That's the difference. So there's this kind of twisted speech of flattery. 
And then when we think of deceitful tongue, I mean, all of us immediately go to the idea of lying and how much the Proverbs speak about lying. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. In chapter six, it says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable or an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, pride, pride, lying lips. Isn't it interesting, our lying tongue, that pride and lying comes before hands that shed innocent blood. If you want any evidence of how important our words are to God, look at where it ranks in this list. A heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness, again, another form of deceitful speech, who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among the brothers. That last little phrase in verse 19, the dissension among the brothers is actually, I think, referring to another kind of deceitful speech of twisted words, gossip and slander. This is speech that is maliciously communicating false or partial or exaggerated information. These are the words that can can cause harm can defame someone or cause people to think lesser of someone. All those kinds of words, whether it's verbal or something we post by comment or a meme on the internet, these are words that are slanderous or gossip. We gossip and we slander when we use these kinds of words. But church, we also gossip and slander when we listen to these kinds of words. We participate in it when we don't put a stop to it. And these words are destructive. I often wonder, why don't we stop this kind of talk? Somebody comes to us and, hey, let me tell you about blah, blah. And we will soak it up, won't we? Well, Solomon says that the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. In other words, the words of of, of a gossip are like creme brulee to your sin nature. They're like the best cheesecake. What's your favorite dessert? Shout it out. Ice cream, chocolate cake. Somebody said cheesecake. Yeah. Key lime pie. They're like key lime pie to the sin nature. Gossip is these kinds of words. And we eat them up. Ray Ortland writes this. He says, we often underestimate the importance of our words. Adultery, for example, is perceived in most Bible-believing churches as a serious sin, and it is. But I have never seen adultery send a whole church into meltdown. Gossip, by contrast, is often perceived as a little sin, but it destroys churches. Do you know how many people it takes to split a church? Not half the congregation, just two. One, to start spreading the fiery negativity, and another not to confront that behavior as the sin that it is. Let's all admit it. We love gossip. We love negative information about other people. We love controversy. We find it delicious. It is a delicacy to our corrupt hearts. We gulp these words down with relish, but the contagion goes deep down into us and makes a deep impression and leaves us even sicker than we were before. Truly, God is not mocked. Church, if we we are living this reality right now, 
We see in our country, and we see how it is being torn apart. You have the pundits and the politicians and the group on the right and the pundits and politicians and group on the left. And what are they busy doing? They spend all of their time slandering and gossiping and destroying the other side and anybody who does not agree with their agenda with their words. And these words are being driven deep down into the hearts of the various people who align with that political perspective. And it is destroying us as a nation. And Christians are being distracted from the work of the kingdom of God because of the words that they're buying into from the groups that they align with because that kind of slanderous, inflammatory talk and words, it appeals to our sin nature. And we take it deep down inside and it begins to corrupt from within. I've been off Facebook for a year. I got hacked. Glory to his name. (laughs) It has been a wonderful year. Haven't missed it a bit. Haven't missed it a bit. There's gossip and slander and lying and all of this that is so destructive that we can all get involved with this folly of the wicked heart. So the question then becomes one, how do you cure this uncontrollable tongue? Because there is the power of life and death in the tongue. So what's the cure for our uncontrolled tongue, for our unwise speech. Well, verse three tells us, first of all, to recognize that our words matter to God. God cares about what we say. It says in verse three, the Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and good. He misses absolutely nothing that we say. And every word matters. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he talks about the words and he gives us a a fundamental truth of the gospel that it's important for us to understand if we are going to see mastery of our tongue, to see our our words sanctified. And, And essentially, this is what I want you to understand from this passage and from the gospel, that with our words, we reveal the state of our hearts and our desperate need for God's grace. In Matthew 12, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he talks about how a bad tree brings out bad fruit, a good tree brings out good fruit. And then he tells them, it is out of the abundance of your heart that the mouth speaks. This is what verse three is, verse seven is getting at. The lips of the wise give good advice. The heart of a fool has none to give. If you want to gain mastery over the tongue, you first must recognize this basic gospel truth that our mouths only speak what's already in our hearts. It's already in our hearts. And it expresses the condition of our hearts. And that's sobering. See, because Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 12, and and those of you who are looking and seeing, what do I do with my life? And and, and how do I have a relationship with God? It's, it's interesting how Jesus then says that there's going to come a day where we will give an account, humanity will give an account for every idle, destructive, critical, sinful word that comes out of our mouth, that by our mouth we will be judged and condemned. That's sobering, isn't it? See, Jesus is giving this warning to all of those who do not follow him. 
that there will come a day where God will no longer overlook the sinful words that come out of our mouth that reflect the corruption of sin in our hearts, that there will be an account, there will be an answer on that day. And on that day, we will have no excuse. Our very own words, Jesus says, will condemn us and show humanity why it is just for God to dispel everyone who has rejected his son into an everlasting punishment. Our own words condemn us. What about you, Christian? Are you worried about that day? You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. Because the words that we still utter and have uttered that are sinful, that are destructive, those words have been justified through Jesus. Our words sent Jesus to the cross Remember, Jesus also said that he who, he who believes and hears and believes my words and believes him who sent me will have eternal life. He will not and does not come into judgment, but passes from death to life. The good news of the gospel is that those words that Jesus gave to the Pharisees to warn humanity that seeks to justify itself through their acts and through their works and through their religion. That's the bad news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is what he also says, when you trust and you hear my words and you believe in me, then you will never face judgment. And the reason we never face judgment is because our very words that are sinful, that would normally condemn us, they condemned Jesus in our place. And when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for those words. But what he says is important for all of us to grasp, whether we know Jesus or not. And if you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you that even today can be the day of your salvation, where the words that would condemn you instead with other words, words of trust and faith and commitment to Christ, those words coming from your heart, expressing your dedication and desire to follow Jesus, those words will save your soul. And they put your sins upon Jesus who pays for them on the cross. But in that sister, a sister passage to that Matthew 12, Jesus says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. And then he says a word to those of us who are here this morning. It's a sobering word of warning and evaluation because he's talking to religious people who believe in God, who believe in the scriptures. And he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? In other words, a danger that we must look for is that we can use our words in a very religious, spiritual manner, but the reality of our words is actually a reflection of the deceptiveness of our hearts that we actually have never committed our lives to Jesus as Lord. We want the benefits of Christianity. We enjoy the entrapments of religion, but we're not actually a disciple who's following him. We're a pseudo-disciple. And so the warning here is to listen to your words. Look at the motives of your heart behind those words. What's going on? That reveals the truth. And Christian as we look at our words, there are so many times when we grieve, isn't it? 
because they reveal the remaining pollution of sin that's in our lives. But they also reveal the, the ongoing need that we have for God's grace. And the good news of the gospel is that, is that we have within us the Holy Spirit living, waiting to restore us and bring gospel restoration into our lives so that our words actually reflect the truth of the gospel. We never get where we want to be with our tongues through self-effort. You can, do, you can do all the little techniques you want. You can have the swear jar. I mean, you can pay for a vacation to Italy with the money out of your swear jar. That's not going to correct your speech. Those external efforts, that's not what brings lasting change. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of us, taking control of us, working out the gospel within us. So let's stand together and close with that reality in mind. Let's read in unison together these words. From Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, we read this. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you notice that when we are filled with the Spirit, what's one of the first obvious ways we are affected and changed? In our words. It changes our singing. It changes our speech. It makes us grateful so that our prayers are thanking and praising and worshiping God. Christian, with our words... We reveal the state of our hearts and our ongoing need for the grace of God. May this week the Holy Spirit fill us, restore us, and bring about good words of blessing. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your indwelling spirit who makes possible the change that must occur in our hearts. Would you continue to work within us, Holy Spirit? Would you break us? Would you grieve us when our words are destructive? May we see what's going on in our hearts that is the source of those words. May you convict us so that we repent and we run from the sin that those words represent, the idolatry that may be underlying those words. May you give us that insight. Most of all, Holy Spirit, would you give us a deep, deep desire to be controlled by you? Would you enable us in our weakness, to lean on you, to trust in you, and to surrender so that we are instruments of righteousness, both with our actions and most importantly, with our words this week. In your name, we ask these things, Jesus. Amen.